The challenge is that we never know which clients are going to stick. We never know which ones are going to be the good ones. We never know which are the ones that are going to say yes. And we ne never truly know which clients have the problems that we are good at solving because we have to understand the problem before we know how to solve it. So long story short, we got to filter out the ones that don't work quickly. So I, I'm building for you, I'm creating for you a framework for five filters. Hello and welcome to our series, Building a Focus Firm with Hector Garcia CPA. I'm Blake Oliver, your moderator for today's episode. This is the fourth installment in an eight-part series all about how to build an accounting or bookkeeping firm that gives you joy by focusing on what matters. And thanks to our sponsor, Avalara, for their financial support to make this series possible. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners of all sizes, from sole proprietors to top 100 firms. Avalara simplifies sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated return filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. They live and breathe tax, so you don't have to. Learn more at avalara.com slash accountants. Let's talk about CPE, continuing professional education credits. You can earn one CPE credit for joining us today. Sign up for the app, click the link to the course, and you'll be able to take a five-question quiz and get your CPE certificate. Now that that's all out of the way, let's get to our topic today, sales process and onboarding. Hector Garcia, Welcome back. I am so pleased that you are well. Uh, I take it your surgery on your, your voice has, uh, has come back. Yes, I have a new voice now. So thank you very much for ear, uh, to Earmark and Avalara for um, letting me take a break uh, in December and January and most of February so I can continue this series now with a, with a new voice. Um, All right. So we're ready to go. I'm, I'm excited. All right. So building a focus firm episode four. Episode four is sales process and onboarding. Episode four out of eight episodes to help you build a focused firm in this mini series. So part four, sales process and client onboarding. It's very dear to my heart because this is where uh, all the concepts of your business model that we talked about in, in a previous episode, your positioning strategy, the technology that you use. This is where uh, all these theories become, go from theory to practical. And this is where we kind of put these things to practice and see if they actually work. So we're going to go through what a sales process looks like, client onboarding from my perspective, and then you guys can figure out um, how this pertains to your clients, your firm, uh, how you're set up. So we're going to talk, we're going to cover this in three uh, themes or in three uh, topics. And these topics also have to do with the sort of timeline of bringing a customer on board. So first, we're going to talk about pre-sales strategy. These are all the things that happen prior to you actually uh, starting to offer your services or a solution to the customer. Then we're going to talk about the sales process step-by-step. -step. So once the customer says, okay, I think I'm interested in working with you and they've already done all the pre-sales homework or you've done your pre-sales homework to make sure the customers come with the correct expectation. Then we'll talk about what that looks like step-by-step. Step. And then lastly, is okay, we did a great job. We sold it, the customer's in. Right, how do we bring them on board to make sure nothing breaks at that point? And then if we have any Q&A at the end or even um, after each of these uh, subsections, we can have that as well. Okay, so let's talk about the pre-sales strategy. So prior to you going out and start offering your services, 
you need to have a cohesive strategy that would essentially set the stage for the entire sales process and the onboarding process, essentially, through your very first deliverable. That was really important because that is when the customer gets uh, gratification for their purchase. Our very first deliverable is really important and you need to sort of set it up throughout the entire process because at that point, that's where we prevent that dreaded buyer's remorse, right? That first deliverable is really important. So we're going to talk about everything through that first deliverable. Now, let's define a few concepts first so we can be all on the same page. First concept is positioning. We spent tons of time on this on episode one, but we can summarize that in answering six questions. So a, a positioning strategy will answer these six questions. That's all you really need to know. I mean, I recommend the hour plus episode that we did on positioning. We went pretty in depth on it, but if you wanted to you know, bring it down to one minute, it would be this. One, the who question, who does the work? What is, uh, wh who are the people inside your organization that do the work? So if you're a single person firm, that would be you, of course. But if you have multiple people in the firm, you know, the, the positioning strategy will answer that question to your client when they, or to your prospect, when they go out and search for accounting firms and they're looking at, well, who's doing the work, right? So that's what your positioning does. It answers that first question. Second question, it answers to your customers, whom, whom do you serve? Who is your target customer? Who is your desired customer that you are you were put on earth to serve and the customer wants to feel that you were meant for them not that you're just one of many accountants that can do generic accounting work can you do the accounting work that matters to me that matters to my business three what what is the problem that you solve this is your specialty this is your your know-how let's call it that then when when do you do the work and really most importantly for your client is how quickly you do the work. Like speed is a really important component of positioning. You see, you know, Jiffy Loop, for example, that's what they're known for. It's not the quality of the oil or the friendliness of the people or the precision and accuracy of the work. It's, it's, it's all about speed, right? So, so, so different firms, different companies, they're known for, you know, for their speed. And that could be a positioning uh, strategy that you put in together. The fifth question that it answers is how, how do you solve the problem? What is your unique process or the unique know-how in your organization that enables you to solve that problem differently or uniquely uh, for the particular client or the particular client problems that, that they have? And lastly, why? Why do you do what you do? What is your firm's purpose? So a good positioning strategy answers those questions. And if you don't have good enough language in your website, in your social media, in your advertising that explains these things or answers these questions, then you got to go back to the drawing board and you got to rethink your positioning strategy and, and make sure you emphasize really on answering those six questions. Next thing is let's talk about the customer's perspective. All customers, all people really come with a perspective, with a particular perspective. And what I want you to understand when, when I talk about customer's perspective is perspective is Everything your customer knows and understands about you and your firm, they come with this bias, right? Whatever they think that you are or what you represent or what you might be, because sometimes they could be wrong too. It could just be a perception. They come with that bias. So you need to understand that before you go out and offer a service, you need to understand what perspectives they come with or reframe or fix or position your way into the right perspective that you want. Second major perspective customers come with is 
everything they know and understand about the problem they're trying to solve or seeking someone to solve. So your customer could also have a perspective that could not be accurate about what the problem is, what the problem actually is, really. Um, so they come with that perspective. The third major perspective they come with is everything they know and understand about how much it should cost to have a professional solve it. They come with that bias. They come with that expectation. And the fourth major perspective is everything they know and understand about the time and effort beyond what they pay that it will be required for you to solve this problem together. Because most of the, our small business client problems are things that we can only fix together. Like, yeah, you could, you could always say, hey, I'm an accountant and I do, I'm a CPA or an enroll agent and I represent people in tax court and they give me a power of attorney and I can do the entire thing where the customer is not involved and I can come back from tax court and win the case or whatever. That's true. That, that could be a use case where the customer really doesn't have to do that much. But if they want to stop from, you know, from getting audited and having to go to tax court again, they got to change behaviors for the future. So at some point in time, solving the problem completely does require collaboration. It requires time and effort from their part, and they might come with a perspective or a, a bias of what that is. Okay, so now you understand those two. You understand your positioning, how you come into the market, and now you understand how your customer comes to you. Now let's talk about what value is, because at, you know, in, the, in the middle between your positioning and what your customer's perspective is, there's value. The textbook definition of value is the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. My definition is what customers feel they received in exchange for the price paid. Because I think that value is a feeling where price is a number, value is a feeling. In other words, customers get value when they pay a, when the price they pay is below the cost of not solving the problem. Customers get value when they, the price they pay is below the cost of not solving that problem. So if they do nothing and they let the problem be, right, then that's fine. If they, if they could pay something that's below the cost of not solving the problem, then that's valuable. And that's an interesting different take on that because most people say, and they're right, you know, value is, you know, what you bring to the table above what they pay. But most of the times what you do for clients, they could just not do it. <laughs> they could just let it go. And in many, in many situations they haven't done the thing that they're asking you to do for six months or a year or two years and then you're coming in you know after they have survived not doing it i mean they know it's a problem they know it's eventually going to blow over and become a huge uh, issue with an audit or they might not survive a cash flow crunch or whatever it is but for an extended period of time they could survive without solving the problem so when, when, when you come in is hey you know what if i solve this problem and it, it costs less than what it costs you not to solve it. So I think that should be your perspective of value. And it really reframes on how you walk in to talk to um, a customer, especially when it comes to a sales process. Now, a guaranteed solution to a problem is the most valuable thing in the market. A guaranteed solution to a problem is the most valuable thing in the market. So you're, if your sales process implies a guarantee, then obviously you're going to be able to command a much higher price. And we'll talk about pricing on the next episode, but I just to, to set up the, the value of a guarantee. Now, there's different types of guarantees. And when you, when you sell your services, you might be implying certain guarantees. Some are written, some are, some are unwritten, some are said, some are understood, some are misunderstood. All right? But 
there's different types of guarantees. So one of the guarantees is called a performance guarantee. And a performance guarantee means you will do it until it's done to specifications, right? So you will, you will do it, redo it, do it, redo it until it's done to specifications. Another type of guarantee is just a refund guarantee, which is, hey, it wasn't done to your specifications, here's your money back, okay? And those two things can be completely exclusive to each other and you can have a guarantee of one or the other. Now, if you combine the two, that's what some people might call a, a risk-free transaction. And you see this in TV all the time, purchase risk-free, right? But one of the ch challenges with a risk-free type of transaction is that, yes, you will refund the customer for what they pay you, but who is going to cover the cost that the customer has incurred because you did it incorrect? So a true risk-free transaction is not only you will do it until it's done to specs, not only you will refund the payment, but you will also cover the cost of doing it incorrectly. One good example of this is, for example, QuickBooks offers payroll services, and if if they get if you get if you get audited and something goes wrong, and this is only on the highest tier, they will cover uh, the cost of the penalties, and they will cover the entire representation. In other words, they'll completely take out all the additional costs incurred with doing it incorrectly. Same thing with Avalara with their, you know, their premium service. If, 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 if they make the mistake on the sales tax return, for example, they're going to cover all the costs um, that, that, that involves you fixing it completely, including penalties and that sort of thing. So you have to remember that if you are going to uh, offer a risk-free uh, tra transaction, you not only have to think about performance and refund, you also have to think about, okay, what are those ancillary costs that my customers will perceive to have or, um, or, or actually, you know, truly have in terms of a, a cash outlay, okay? Now, how do you structure a guarantee or how do I suggest you should structure uh, a guarantee? So one of the ways to structure a guarantee is satisfaction. Basically, it says, hey, Mr. Customer, you have a subjective measure you can use, which is if you feel it's not right, if you feel it's not correct, if you don't feel satisfied, and again, totally, subjective, you can, you know, trigger whatever the, the guarantee is, whether it's a performance structure or whatever it is. The second one is, or the second one um, type of structure would be a result. This is when it's, it's an objective measure. And again, it's measurable. So it's a measurable result or an objective measure that the customer and accountant agree to. Okay. So it's something that's, Hey, like any third party, any mediator, anyone that doesn't know anything about accounting, uh, an arbitrator, whatever, can look at that objective system of measurement and say, yep, it was over 10 or it was over 100, over a million, whatever it is. And yes, it did pass the threshold or no, it didn't pass the threshold. And the last type of uh, guarantee trigger you could structure is an external event. So this is when a third party triggers the guarantee. So something like an audit, that would be a, just a perfect example, or something you don't control is completely outside of the client accountant relationship is triggered by some third-party event. The insurances do this, right? Like the act of God, the whole, right? There's something, there's a hurricane or whatever, right? So these type of things are, they're not measurable. They're not objective. They're not uh, subjective. They're just things that happen to any of you. And at that point, that guarantee uh, or, or, the, or the claim to the guarantee could come along. So really just keep that in mind that if the customer asks for a guarantee, you're going to offer a guarantee, be very clear on how you're going to offer that guarantee. Because I see a lot of people saying, yep, satisfaction guaranteed. And that means different things to, to different people. Okay. So the basic pre-sales marketing strategy is communicating your positioning, 
keen understanding of your customer's perspective, framing price around the value you create and guarantee for your customers. And the whole pricing conversation will happen in episode five. So stay tuned for that. Now, why is this relevant? Why would I spend 50 minutes talking about this before jumping straight to sales process? Because a strong pre-sale process reframes who needs who the most in the transaction. Hint, customers need you more than you need them. Now, I could prove to you that with math, right? Most small businesses have one accountant. Most accounting professionals have many clients. So that's enough evidence to tell you that customers need the accountant more than the accountant needs the client, right? Because if the customer need, loses their accountant, they went, they went from 100% accountant to 0% accountant, right? Where, where uh, um, an accountant can have 20 clients and they lose one client that went from 100% clients to 95% clients. So you think about that, right? So most of the time, the small business needs the accountant more. Now, I could use actual math, right? 32 million small businesses in the US, according to the SBA, 1.3 million accounting workers. If you do simple math, there's one accountant for every 24 businesses. Yeah, granted, some accountants you know, are, are, not, are in public practice, some are not, some are private. I, I get it. There's a whole plethora of, 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 uh, of a combination of how accountants are um, organized, you know, like a company like Apple can have maybe a thousand accountants inside the organization. I get it. It's not a perfect ratio, but if you just use the general arithmetic here, it, there's 24 businesses for every accountant period, right? So every accountant or accounting firm should have at least 24 clients. That's, that's how I see it anyway. So, uh, Blake, that's the end of the first part. That's the pre-sale strategy. Any questions or comments on that? No questions so far, but I do want to say thank you to Avalara, our sponsor, for their financial support to make this series possible. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners from small to large still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? It's time to stop and focus on automation. The Avalara for Accountants suite empowers even the smallest practitioner to support clients' tax compliance needs. All firms can benefit from their referral program. Simply refer clients to Avalara and let them assist on your behalf. For practices that offer direct compliance services, you can use Avalara for Accountants award-winning tools to help you start or grow a tax compliance or CAS service. Expressly designed for accounting service providers with multiple clients, solutions include real-time rates, automated returns filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. Partner with Avalara to grow your practice with efficient and accurate sales tax compliance while reducing risks for you and your clients. To learn more, contact Avalara at accountants.avalara.com or visit them at avalara.com slash accountants. And please do go ahead and ask your questions of Hector when it comes to sales process and onboarding. I'm monitoring the chat. Uh, we'd love to get your questions. I know everyone's busy with uh, tax season, busy season right now. Uh, so you may, may your brain may not quite be working in terms of creating those questions, but we'd love to hear them. All right. Uh, back to you, Hector. Absolutely. So thank you, uh, Blake and, and Avalara again. So we all agree at this point that, or at least if you were listening in the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes is that you should not go out there and try to sales 
you know, sell your services and, and, and have and you can't really have a sales process without a sort of pre-sales strategy. You, you always want to walk in into a sales process where you have designed or reframed what it is, what what does it mean to work uh, with your firm? What does it mean for your customers to seek you out for a solution? So let's talk about the sales process step-by-step. My favorite quote from Blair Enns, he's the author of a book called Win Without Pitching Manifesto, is the sale is the sample. The sale is the sample, okay? We all love going to uh, Costco and getting free samples, right, of the little bread that you put in the oven right before you buy it and then you're blown away and then you buy it. In the services world, we really don't get that free sample option. It's very difficult to give someone a free sample of an accounting service, of a, of a, of a, of a tax return. It's very difficult to do. So the closest thing we have in professional services is the sales process. The sales process is the sample. So if the customer is able to uh, build trust, if you're able to build trust with your customer, able to trust you more, if they feel um, if they feel that you're using the, the right technology, if you feel you're communicating the right amount, not too much communication, not too little communication, if they feel you're guiding them through the accountant selection process without an agenda of wanting to sell every client, like you're truly helping them uh, you know, find the right solution, you know, and, and you being one of the options, uh, they're going to get, that's going to be a sample to your services and they're going to just feel really great about what they're buying. So that is the, truly the closest thing we have to, um, to the free sample, right? In, in professional services. So let me walk you through how I feel you can give someone the greatest, the, the best possible sample of the quality of your services. So the number one answer to this is, the best way to give them the best possible sample of services is spend as much time as humanly possible with that prospect through the sales process, taking into consideration that you have tons of other prospects and tons of work, and there really isn't that much time you can spend with them. So I, un- I understand that we have this, this, this strange situation like double-edged sword where we want to spend tons of time with the prospect to make sure that the right fit and selling them the right service or product or whatever, but we also have many other things that we need to do. So I understand that there's a total finite amount of time you can spend with a prospect. So the key element to that is to filter out the non-prospects and non-customers quickly, like create quick filters to get them out the door, right? And don't spend too much time with the ones that are not going to close. Because I know for a fact that many of my colleagues are okay with spending three hours with a prospect. Or four hours, something that sounds ridiculous, four hours, but if they can guarantee that this prospect would be one of their top VIP clients and they're going to have that client for four or five years and a wonderful relationship and be able to cross sell services and they're not high demanding and they're, you know, just like this great, perfect client. Like if there was a magic wand that could guarantee um, a client to become that, you, I'm pretty sure you would spend three to four hours because it's worth it right? The challenge is that we never know which clients are going to stick. We never know which are going to be the good ones. We never know which are the ones that are going to say yes. And we ne- never truly know which clients have the problems that we are good at solving because we have to understand the problem before we know how to solve it. So long story short, we got to filter out the ones that don't work quickly. So I, I'm building for you, I'm creating for you a framework for five filters. So filter number one, the lead expresses interest in working with you, and they do it exactly in the medium that you request they use. 
So if you have a website that says how to work with us and how to work with us requires them to answer, let's say, four questions in your website and upload a document, right? And then hit send. And then after hitting send, picking a time on your calendar for 50 minutes for a follow-up. And they don't do that. Instead, they send an email or they call the phone number. Then you got to spit them back out. Does that that make sense? You got to spit them back out. Like you have to have a consistent single process a, 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 a funnel per se. And I don't want, not, not, I don't mean it from a marketing funnel, just like visually, visually think of a, a funnel, like a kitchen funnel or a bottleneck. It's like, I need you to, I need you, all of you to converge at this point. And if you cannot get through this simple request we asked, then that should be an indication of whether that's going to be a good client or not. Because if they, they're not possible, they, they cannot answer four questions on a website and upload a document or whatever it happens to be, then you're going to have a challenge. Okay, so that should be your very first filter, right? Can, can, can they go through that filter? And many times that filter, um, especially if you put a little questionnaire, and in that questionnaire you have, you have your price minimums. Like, hey, do you agree that our firm only takes customers of ten thousand dollars a year, or, um, or, or, or more? If they say no, I don't agree, then you know your questionnaire should spin back out and say, sorry, we can't help you, or yes, we'll send the information to our you know our accounting manager or whatever anyway but most likely we'll probably send you somewhere else so like you can actually build in you know your minimums or whatever those minimum requirements are in the very first filter so that's filter number one right filter number two if the lead passes that filter and they're within your target market whether it's you know desired price point uh, uh, type of industry type of problem whatever it is you need to immediately respond with a clear expectation of what the next steps are. And that could be just an auto-reply email saying, hey, by the way, we got your information. We're going to go through it. And within two days, we're going to call you or we're going to email you or we're going to have somebody from my office uh, text you or whatever it is, or we're going to give you access to our portal, whatever it is. And then at that point, you know exactly what the next step is going to be. You want to do that because you don't want you don't want that customer to send in the lead and then get angsty because they haven't gotten a response in two days or whatever, and then go out there and, and, and keep shopping you around. And unfortunately, not that I'm against customers shopping uh, accountants around, the problem is it just adds more noise and it makes it harder for you to build. Like there was a reason why they contacted you in the first place. There was a reason. They had, they had a need. There was a pain point. There was an ache of some sort. Um, so you don't want that. You know, that's sort of hot, right? It's hot. It's, it's there. And you want to quench that uh, pretty quick. And if, if you need to take three days to answer, because that's normal, right? Especially, you know, in busy season, just let them know, hey, we're reviewing this. We're going to have two people look at it. And within three days, we're going to contact you. This, if, if you tell people what you're going to do and you do it, that's good. Most people are patient. Filter number three, okay? So possibly in, at this stage, maybe you have a, an actual interview with them. It could be a phone interview, it could be a Zoom interview, or it could be a total digital interview, like uh, some people send um, client organizers. I have, you know, like the 200-page client organizer, that's a crazy thing. But if you want to have something like a, like a you know, new customer intake interview and you want to have maybe 10 key questions that are maybe semi-customized, so you have maybe two or three different templates depending on the type of, lead so for example if a tax lead comes in then the questionnaire is it's it's different questions that if it's a, a accounting services lead or a quickbooks training lead, lead or a sales tax um, resolution compliance lead whatever it happens to be um, you know maybe you send them a, a customized set of questions so you understand the problem first so that's assuming you're going to keep it digital 
or maybe maybe through an email or through a portal or through another questionnaire or even a phone call. But you, you need to have all those questions and they need to answer the questions clearly and they cannot hold back. So they can't be like that. those people that have an ace under their sleeve and they're trying to hold it back because they feel that giving you too much information gives you more power or whatever. You got to be able to read through that quickly and make sure that you don't take intake the clients that, hey, they gave me 98% of the information, but they're holding back to or whatever. You got to tell them, look, I will be transparent with you, but I need you to be transparent with me. I can't help you if I don't understand the entire picture. Sometimes a little tiny piece of information, it's really crucial for me to understand whether or not this is going to work out. Um, this happens a lot with documents where, where, where you, you want to see last year's tax return before you even talk to them and they don't want to show it to you. Okay, so if they don't trust you at this point, right, they've already been through the first two filters and they don't trust you at this point, you, you, something went wrong in the first two filter process or your entire pre-sales uh, strategy, something was broken where they didn't trust you enough to give you the key information you need to be able to know whether you can help them or not. So if they go through this third filter, give they were transparent, they didn't hold back and they give you the documents, then it goes to the next stage. So now we got filter number four. So filter number four is at this point, at this point, we know this is our target customer. We know we could solve the, or at least we have a general understanding to what the problem is. We have a good uh, bird's eye view of, of, of the business, where they've been, uh, all the stuff. Then we can have a, a value conversation. So at this point, we can have the actual value conversation, which uh, some people call the why conversation. We'll discuss that pretty soon. And this is where we're going to get to the crux of the issue. This is where we're going to dig deep and go, okay, what is not just the problem the customer is describing, which is very clear to us. We have the documents, we have the tax return, we have the IRS letter, whatever happens to be. We have all the stuff laid out in front of you. We understand what the problem looks like in the surface, but do we understand why the problem got generated in the first place? Do we understand how to, how to not just clean up the problem, but fundamentally change the organization or the person to make sure it doesn't happen again, um, and how we can essentially re-engineer some systems and processes to make that person uh, spend all their energy you know, making money, serving their customers instead of just putting out these type of fires. So that's the that's essentially the value the value conversation. And this this stage um, is the most expensive one for your firm because this is the one that requires your your I don't want to say the smartest people, but the the, the people that are keenest keenest at understanding um, client problems and reading between the lines and all these things, that's going to be your, your, your smartest, most experienced person is probably going to be the one having this value conversation or the one that's most skilled at having value conversations. And in, in, in some cases, you charge for this, right? and we, we'll discuss that a little bit later, but this is the fourth filter. The fourth filter is, can we understand the why, the why of the problem? So we go to that filter, and at that point, after the value conversation, we can offer uh, price and options, and we'll cover that in episode five. We'll we'll get into the mechanics of that, um, and then we offer um, a service or a, a product or service. And the customer filter number five, the customer accepts it without asking for a discount. That's a really important piece of this because the minute they ask for a discount, you have to reframe that conversation. So in some some customers, you say, "Hey, can I get a nice face discount?" And they're kind of half joking around, and when you say no, they say. I get it. I get it. I, I'm you know, sorry. I messed up. I, I, you know, I want this problem to be solved more than, you know, attempting to do a bad joke about a discount. But some people are serious about it. Say, no, no, no. I need this, but a half price or, or, or you get into the whole issue where people 
start um, fighting the price. So there, there's a particular uh, set of processes you have to follow if you get to this point. But that would be the fifth filter, which is they agree to the price, they agree to the terms, uh, they pay the first payment, whatever happens to be, and they didn't ask for a discount. So those are the five filters, and you want to go through these five filters before you intake any client. I, I believe I mean, that you could add more or concatenate some of these, but I believe that if you create these five filters, you are going to have just an incredible, great pipeline of customers coming in. Now, the other thing I recommend, um, and you can't see this in a you can see this in a podcast. Um, format. But if you go into the notes of the episode and you download the slides, um, I went to Zoom whiteboard and I created a process map where I go through the five, and I recommend you do this the same, whether you're going to have five filters or four filters or seven filters, whatever it is, and you create a process map that takes you through, okay, what if the customer says yes? What if they say no? What if they pass this filter? What if they don't? And then create those workflows so everyone in your organization knows what you're supposed to do. Like for example, let's say we are in the white conversation and we need to understand the real problem. And at that point, you as the consultant can't figure out the why of the problem. Let's say even, even you, you spend 45 minutes with the customer and you still, you still cannot figure out the why of the problem. Well, if you are not ready to, to, uh, to recommend a service, then I recommend that you either say, hey, Mr. Customer, I can't help you because I don't understand you know, the, the, the issue. Or two is, I think we need to have a workshop. I think we need to have a paid assessment. I think we need to have a paid diagnosis where I could dig into it and actually test it, like sit down with you and press buttons and move paper around and, 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 and test the control system and see who in the organization drops the ball or whatever so I can figure out what the problem is. And that, that, that's sort of a half engagement. It's a pre-engagement to really just understand what the issue is. And then if you go through that, then you can try to see, okay, do I now understand the real problem and then move into an actual um, you know, monthly service or engagement or whatever. So, I, so that's all built in. That should all be built in in a, in a, in a graphical process map so everyone in the organization knows what to do. So um, Blake, I, you know, I, know, I know many people will listen to this in a podcast. Um, do you want to, because you're much better at describing visual things that I am, do you want to talk about the process map a little bit or have any questions at this point? I just am curious um, when it comes to this, these filters, do you have one that is the most important to start with? Let's say I, I have no filters right now. What filter would you put in place? Yeah, so that's a good one. My favorite filter to have is, did you read my open letter to new customers? Right. So like that would be my, my very uh, simple, right? You can just email it to them if immediately. So like if you actually Google Hector Garcia open letter new clients, you, you will find it in my website where I have this open letter. And this open letter, I say, Hey, Mr. Customer, I know that you want to work with me and you know, I know you want me to solve all your accounting problems, but let's talk about a, what an accounting problem is. Let's talk about what we actually do. Let's talk about what we don't do. Let's talk about how much we would charge for a diagnosis. And we kind of walk people through you know, like, what is this interaction going to be like? So if you want to just simplify, instead of having all these filters, just have an open letter to new leads, open letter to new customers, and have people read it first. Um, you know, it would be nice. Yeah. You know, it's, that it, kind of, what I'm thinking at the end right. of that email, you could, add, you could have some sort of instruction uh, that says, you know, if you have read this email in its entirety, please reply uh, with the following. Right. And it, it's, it's sort of like the... Uh, 
I don't know if you ever played that game or had a teacher that did this in school where they'd give you a test to, and it was a test about like following instructions and you had to do, you know, 20 things on the test. There's 20 items. And item number one is read through all of these items before you do anything. And then item 20 is uh, put your pencil down. Thanks for reading everything in advance. You don't have to do any of the other steps. And so then the students who listened or who, who read the instructions and followed the instructions uh, are done in two minutes because they read through the exam and they put their pencils down. And those who didn't are proceeding to do more and more ridiculous things like stand up and shout and uh, walk around the room and, you know, all these crazy tasks. That, that's actually, that's actually a, a, a credible and mm. insightful um, uh, comment there because you know, we, we, I, I don't trick people into like, you know, like doing the wrong thing, you know, so they read through the whole letter. But at the end, I can say something like, hey, at the end of the letter, I described, you know, four customer personas and which one do you feel more identified with? And then, you know, like you, whatever it is, I, I describe, okay, customer that feels that their bookkeeping is a mess. And because of that, they can't make the right decisions or customer that feels that, um, you, they get into tax season com completely not knowing and, and, and just writing that check is the one that causes you more anxiety or whatever it is, right? So sometimes you want to do is you want to drive people into like three or four options and they would have to have read the letter to then I give you a cohesive answer. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they, they could give you an answer that could be even not good for them. And the customer also doesn't want to give the wrong answer because they're truly looking for a solution to the problem. So yeah, I completely, yeah, I could, I could completely see how that would work. Um, and I, again, I like yours better. It's more productive, right? But but again, people could also just pick one and just give you one, and, yep. and it could be it could be the wrong thing. Um, I, I think at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think that was what solves the problem is have a blanket policy where every new client needs to pay a, for a pay diagnosis, but you'll make an exception to that for the people that follow a specific process, right? So it's almost mm, like, yeah. okay, oh, I, oh, oh, there's a back door. Okay, uh, okay, so good. I get it for free. I don't have to pay, you know, 500 bucks or whatever or pay a deposit or whatever, but I have to follow this specific process. So that could also be another way for you to, for you to do that. Say, hey, by the way, I, I know you don't like the process. I know you don't like the homework. If you want to get on a Zoom call and explain it to me via Zoom call, that's a pay diagnosis, right? So you, you because some people always want to, for, for the average small business owner, it's difficult to explain their problem. Like, especially accounting is mostly an afterthought for most people. And for the most part, the problem has to do with, you know, the bank declining a loan or the tax return or the tax liability being higher than expected or getting pesky letters that they don't understand what they mean and it requires some research to understand, you know, whether am I compliant, am I not compliant, right? So that's typically the stuff that kind of annoys people that 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 in, essentially is the only thing that drives them to go find an accounting uh, professional. So in the, in the absence in the absence of that, um, you almost have to, you have to create that need, and in order to create that need, you need the customer to think through. Um, you know, like what's the relationship with accounting, and how do they want that relationship? to get better. And that requires them to read something that requires them to think about something that requires them to possibly research something prior to coming uh, to work with you. And, and, and ideally, ideally, if you do the homework prior and you only need to spend 10 or 15 minutes with a summarized, synthesized version of the problem, you can quickly move to the next stage or not move to the next stage um, without having to spend a whole bunch of time. But it's the customer that says, 
hey, my accounting's a mess. I don't know what to do. Can we get on a Zoom call? And then they, they want to brainstorm on the spot right there and think through the problem right there only, completely taking your time and disregarding for the value of your time with your other 23 customers or whatever the ratio is, right, that, that, that you have, right? So, so that's something that you, you want to keep in mind that a lot of people just want to explain the problem on the spot via Zoom because it's easier to say it via voice um, than just yep. like, sit down, <laughs> write it down and, and research. Well, and we have to be careful, right? We don't want to give away too much before we've actually gotten the customer. There's a lot of folks out there that want to get free advice. Sure. Now, I, I agree, but how much free advice from a one-hour call could really customers use and turn into something truly tangible, if you think about it? Um, now, I, I can totally understand how someone is stuck and they can't reconcile one of the bank accounts. And that's the one thing that their other accountant told them, hey, I can't move forward until you reconcile that bank account. And in through the sales process, they're just trying to figure out what buttons do they press so they can you know, un undo the reconcile or move forward so they can continue to work with the other professional. Yeah, I totally understand how we want to completely stay away from that and, and being someone else's tech support. But in the long run, in a 45-minute call, in a one-hour call, how much free advice, quote unquote, can they really use? I mean, you think about it, really, truly, can they really use it? They can't. So you, you almost have to be careful with being in that mentality that customers are just out there for free advice. If you have a sales process that forces the customer to answer a whole bunch of questions that are not even relative to the one thing they want you to fix, um, then it's just going to completely filter them out automatically. And trust me, this is coming from a public persona that it's synonymous to QuickBooks for many people that actually has the answers for most QuickBooks questions and has the ability to answer them via email that gets 15 to 20 emails a day with technical support questions of, of QuickBooks. And, and I have to manage that daily and figure out, is this an opportunity to turn into a sale? Should I just answer this? Or should I tell people, hey, there's a you know paid training? So we go through this decision tree every single day with every lead that comes from my YouTube channel. Okay, so uh, in summary, what do these filters mean? Well, it means that you will design a sales workflow that quickly dismisses leads and cannot that cannot pass through those filters so you can go back and reinvest all your energy and resources on the leads that do. And you need to have an exit ramp. That's a really important piece, an exit ramp for the leads that don't pass the filters because it, it's the hardest thing is to... Um, be be sort of halfway invested in the sales process and then realize it's not going to work. And as humans, we don't th we, we think that some costs are real costs. And we're like, you know, I already invested a lot in this customer. I kind of understand the problem. It's not my right customer, but I'm going to reframe my services around fitting into this customer. And that's going to give you a client that's just not fit for, for your strategy. So if you have a quick exit ramp, like, hey, Here's a, a, a frequently asked questions on my website, or here's a video, or here's a, a book I recommend, or here's a, a list of other accountants. Like if you have a quick exit ramp where you don't feel guilty about sending them there, you're most likely just to just send them there. Because a, a well-positioned firm, a focus firm, a niche firm, a target client firm, whatever you want to call it, if you're focused on who you serve, you should probably only be offering to one out of four leads that come in because leads are usually not that good at qualifying themselves. So if you're focusing 
then your focus should show in your closing rate. So now that you want, if you know for a fact, if you accept the premise and you know that out of four customers, three are not going anywhere, you really want to spend an hour with each of them. You don't. So that's why you need to build in this exit ramps um, into your system. Now, what does this look like in the real world? So let's, let's this is all theory, semi-tactical, real world. Step one, lead reads a blog article on your website, follows you on social media, learns about your firm through some other mechanism like a client referral or even a Google search, okay? So they, they, they know about you in any possible way. At this stage, the customer should hopefully self-select if you don't specialize in them. So if you don't do taxes, make sure your website says, we don't do taxes. Like some people are afraid of saying it. Just say, we don't do taxes. And then they think that a no is negative, but you can reframe it and say, because we don't do taxes, we're super mega specialized on bookkeeping. Or because we don't do bookkeeping, we, we, can, we can be super mega specialized on, on tax. So you could take what feels like a, like a negative and turn it into a positive. And if the customer lands on that website and they're looking for the opposite of what you do, they should self-select immediately. Okay. Also by using the language of your target customer. So if you talk about, if you, if you serve doctors and you talk about your patients and you talk about Medicare and you talk about insurance claims, you talk about all sorts of things that maybe a graphic designer wouldn't connect with, they should self-select too. Okay. So again, all these ways that people learn about you, that they should be self-selecting. And if you get client referrals, I think you should tell your customers, say, hey, by the way, if you know any of the customers like you, construction companies, yeah, I would definitely take a referral. Like you got to teach your clients what a referral looks like. Because if you just call yourself an accountant and you're a great accountant, they're going to recommend to any other friends and family that are also looking for an accountant, right? And it's harder to say no to other, especially great client referrals. So I know exactly what that, that feels like. So you got to retrain your clients to, 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 to also be self-selective about who they refer to you. Okay, so step two. Step two is you're aware that the lead exists. You're, you're aware that the lead has interest and you give them some homework. Now, it could be any of these or it could be all of these. As we talked about earlier, fill a questionnaire, read an article like an open letter to, to clients, have them pay for a diagnosis. That's, that's homework, by the way. So having to enter the credit card on a page and paying you 500 bucks for a diagnosis, that's homework. And they also might need to show up and they also might need to give you access to their GL, whatever it is, okay? They may also have to submit documents, right? all that stuff. So, so that's, what it, that's what it looks like in the real world, right? So now we know about the, the lead. It's sort of kind of within our target market. Now we're going to give them some homework and they got to do the homework. Otherwise, they're, they're not interested enough, okay? Uh, maybe they'll, they'll have a quick conversation, but not with a principal team member, with you know, one of the admin people or something like that about you know, these other pieces of homework. So it could be all of these or some of these, okay? Uh, step number three. So at this point, we diagnose the value conversation. It should not be longer than 30 to 60 minutes, even though you think the longer, the better. For, for, for most people, it's just way too much. Like, like just like being interviewed for an hour, like being asked questions for an hour about something they're not that comfortable or excited about, that might be too much. That really truly might be too much. So you want to be stay within... 30 to 60 minutes for this diagnosis or needs assessment. I think you should always call it a diagnosis or needs assessment. Don't call it a conversation or 
to talk about your services, just call it a diagnosis, call it a needs assessment. Give it a name that's sort of like, it means serious business. It means that we're not here to chit chat. We're here to talk about the problem. We're going to solve for the problem. It, it is truly a value conversation, but never call it a value conversation because that's, that's, um, that's confusing. Um, you can call it a priorities conversation. Say, hey, let's talk about priorities. Let's, that's what they call it. All priorities. That's fine. Diagnosis, needs assessment, priorities call, whatever it is, that's fine. Now, the better the, the firm positioning is, the more customers knocking at your door uh, and the more customers you're sort of kicking out because you don't have capacity, um, the more they will do this with a paid diagnosis. But again, um, um, if, if you're not there yet to always charge a paid diagnosis, um, start um, start aiming towards that, right? So at least start calling it a diagnosis or a needs assessment. And this is where we're going to have the why conversation, which I think the why conversation is the most important tool in your sales process. So what is the why conversation? This comes from Alan Weiss from a million dollar consulting firms, a million dollar firms, I think it's called. Um, and um, and the other book is value-based fees, of course. Um, so the why conversation basically forces you to not talk about the customer's self-diagnosis and take it for granted, but it's like take a step back and go, okay, I hear what you say. I hear that you what 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 triggered you to call me. I hear that you have a, an issue with your books or or your, your tax return. You know, you're paying too much taxes. Whatever, whatever triggered you to call me. I hear that, but let's discuss with more depth. We're going to peel the onion. So the first one is why this? So why this means why do you think that this, what you diagnose uh, the problem is worth fixing? You know, why do you think that this is the most important thing to fix? So it's just basically immediately question your, 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 your lead, potential client, question them on the self-diagnosis being the, the one thing that they feel is the most important thing. And they might answer you, well, because, you know, I paid too much taxes or whatever it is, right? So just make, make sure you and you ask more why conversations. So why do you think you pay, you pay so much taxes? Well, because we don't do enough planning. And then you say, well, why do you think you don't do enough planning? Well, my accountant doesn't make the time. And question, why didn't you pick an accountant that would make the time? Well, because I don't have time to follow up. I want accountants that are proactive, okay? So, so why do you think proactive accountants would be useful? And they go, well, because a proactive accountant you know, we'll look into my uh, books and we'll know what's happening ahead of time. So why don't you think that hiring someone maybe weekly to look at your books couldn't be more useful than, you know, what you're saying, which is annual or quarterly? And, and they'll go, well, that's a good point. Maybe weekly makes more. And then, again, you start going deep and deep and deep and deep into it. That sets you up for the sale, sets you up for the, for the onboarding and everything else. The next why question is why now? So you can say, hey, I've noticed that You've let go of this issue for the last six months. It looks like you haven't you know, reconciled since July of last year or whatever. Why now? Why is it important now? They can go, well, because my tax return is due. Or well, because I have a banker waiting for a financial statement that, is, that um, I need to apply for a loan. Or oh, I'm going through a divorce and I need to. And I have a forensic accountant coming in. So why now? There, there's, there's a very important piece of information that has to do with urgency and how important this, this problem is. And you want to know, you need to know, you need them to disclose how important the problem is because usually the, the severity of the problem from the client's perspective will bring more pressure to you and your team to get it done quickly, okay? And that's okay. I, I might be able to do it quickly. I might be able to 
have every single employee drop what they're doing to get this sold for you, Mr. Customer, but hey, are you willing to pay the price? And we need to understand if, again, if the price you're paying is below the cost of doing nothing, right? The next question is, why us? You need to build the courage to go, why do you think we can help you with this problem, right? Again, this is a weird question to ask because it's almost like asking the customer, like, do you think we have good marketing or good positioning? Do you think we have a good brand? So have the coin, the, the, the lead, reiterate back to you what they understand about your firm, what they understand about your positioning to go, yeah, I think you can help me because you have this or you have that or I read that you have this or I read your article or I saw your video or I read your website. And if the why us question is a very difficult question for you to ask, you got to go back to the episode one on positioning and you got to build positioning. Like you have to be able to confidently ask why us can't skip this one okay because again if you can't answer it you have bad marketing you have bad strategy you have bad positioning and all you do is go go back and fix it you're one episode away from um from implementing better positioning and the last one is why not just leave it be you know what if we just don't do it what if you just let it let it go and the customers that come to you you know what if i don't fix this my wife will divorce me if i don't fix this the IRS is going to shut me down or whatever it is, right? The state's going to shut me down or the IRS is going to charge me a big penalty. If I don't do this, I won't get the loan or I lose this deal or I lose this employee, right? Because I don't have the financial statements to figure out the commission to pay to my employees, whatever it is, right? So you, you, you want to understand what is the cost of doing nothing so you understand what you're against because most of us think that our competitors are other firms, but in reality, our competitors is apathy. Right? We lose more deals to apathy than we do to a colleague. What do you think, Blake, about that one? I, I would agree. Um, you know, I work with a lot of software companies serving the accounting profession. And more often than not, it's not that we lose a customer or a potential customer to a competitor, it's that the customer simply decides to keep doing things the way they're doing them, which is to do nothing. And I would say that's 80 or 90% of the time in software. And I'm curious, what do you think that percentage is when it comes to services? I think when it comes to accounting, it's high, but 95% of people file the tax returns. I don't know what the percentage, many do. So I would say, I would say that from the highest level, yes, they're compliant. But does everybody reconcile their own bank accounts? Probably not. Does everyone review their accounts receivable every week to make sure that they're invoicing their customers the right amount and adjusting it and doing the discounts if they paid on time? Probably not. Is everybody going through the vendor list and looking for alternate vendors that might be able to give you more favorable terms or pricing? Probably not. Is everybody sitting down and reviewing you know, the sales by employee and breaking down their performance and seeing their historical trends? Probably not. Is everybody looking at your item list and seeing what products inventory is becoming obsolete and you should probably not be taking space in the shelf and what are the opportunities to replace it with new ones? Probably not. Is everybody building custom reports for the entire team to have financial transparency so you can build systems where everybody in the team is engaged in the performance of the organization, but also blocking or limiting the sensitive financial information that they want to see? Probably not. So we could, we could go down the rabbit hole as to 
what people are actually doing and everything else they have apathy uh, towards. And everyone wants to be like Apple. Everyone wants to be like Microsoft. Everybody wants to be like Google. But if they're not building systems in place, strategic, tactical, execution to these systems to monitor uh, and, 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 and continuously improve the processes, they're not going to get better. So accounting professionals have this huge opportunity of things they can do uh, for people. But most of the time they have apathy towards, you know, doing all these little things. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Okay. Well, and I love, yeah. I love, I love that you're asking these why questions because this is what ultimately is the reason the customer will or will not sign up with you. And most of the time, we just don't ask these questions in in the sales process, and so we don't really find out why. We don't find out why we got the customer, or why we didn't, and so we can't improve unless we ask these questions. That's why this is important. And the reason we don't is not because we don't know how to do them; it's because we don't have time to do them. Because we spend so much time with the with the other customers that we're never going to close because we didn't filter them two or three filters ago prior to getting to the stage. That's why you you only want to do wide conversation of people already in the in the in the latest stage. I know you got a lot more to get to, and we don't have that much time left. So I'm going to hand it back to you. Awesome, thank you. All right. So again, the last step, if somehow the third step wasn't enough. The white conversation wasn't enough. As I mentioned earlier, we need to revert this back to a workshop, a paid engagement, a paid diagnostic, something where the customer actually pays for you to find those why answers. Because sometimes the customer might not know. Sometimes the customer might not be able to tell you or know. And you go, you know, Mr. Customer, you're right. You have a tax planning problem. But I can't figure out through this conversation what the root cause is. So I might need to spend two days with your with your staff with you just kind of observe what happens and how the receipts are being managed and and maybe i need i go with you to walmart and see what you spend money on and why you use the red debit card that's business and not the blue debit card that's personal or whatever like i might need to like truly truly intimately understand the behaviors of everyone in this organization to know the answers to these white questions and for that you gotta pay right so if you can't answer the questions and you truly want a solution to the problem I might need to hang out with you to be able to discover that. So again, um, you're doing all this stuff um, you know, prior. So asking key questions about expectations. I'm going to do a couple of examples of what are those key questions that allow you to sort of have the right expectation. One of the questions I like to ask is, when you have a general accounting or tax question, how quickly do you expect an answer? It's very simple, straightforward. Everyone's going to say yesterday. Some people might say in two days. Some people might say in a week. doesn't matter. Just get the raw answer. Second layer of this question could be, okay, how thorough uh, or documented do you want this answer to be? So how thorough or documented do you want this answer um, to be? Uh, give me one second here. I think I spelled thorough there in the, in the slides. Apologize for that. So how thorough in them might also be <laughs> misspelled, sorry, like edit. Documented, like sort of what are you, ex- are you expecting for me to say, yes, is deductible or is deductible if section XYZ applies and, you know, there is an exception to the rule and exception to the rule is this and that. And here's the website on the IRS that confirms this 
et cetera, et cetera. So like, that's a really important thing because some people just want the answer, the gut feeling answer, and somebody want like the book answer, right? And also through which means via Slack, via an email, um, that, that, sort of, that, that sort of thing. So um, what, what uh, medium do you expect the answer uh, to be given through? And at that point, you, you, you ask the answers, you have, you have raw answers. Uh, you ask the questions, you have raw answers, and you, you can just explain at that point how the firm works and then come to an understanding to, hey, this was your expectation versus how we work. Can we move forward? And that's another, this is more of like, like a sales process filter within a filter, right? Next key question to ask about expectation is, what does a perfect accounting firm relationship look like? Just ask a regular open-ended question. Okay, so what does a perfect um, um, accounting relationship look like? The next sort of layer to this question is, what could we do or fail to do that would be a total deal breaker? Again, open-ended question, let people answer. Some people could say, you could take more than three days to answer my question, right? And that could be, if that's a deal breaker to your customer and your firm cannot handle that, that that's a filter within the filter that you're gonna get through. Another question you can ask is, what did the previous firm do that triggered you wanting this change? You need to make sure you know this. You got it because sometimes people complain about the last firm. And honestly, you know, if you were to talk to that colleague, you will realize that, yeah, the problem was the customer, not the, not the firm, not the firm. So you want to think about that. And at that point, again, based on those answers, you want to, at that point, explain how your firm handles those situations. And again, figure out, can you get through that filter? Another key question to ask, which I really like, is called a Dan Sullivan question, which is, if you and I were sitting in a cafe three years from now, and we were celebrating the success of our relationship, what would need to have happened in those three years for you to be so happy? And if you can, if you can execute this question and shut up, right? Like don't add more framing or reframing to it, okay? Just ask, ask the question. If you and I were sitting in a cafe three years from now and we were celebrating the success of our relationship, what would need to have happened in those three years for us to be so happy. If you could be quiet and let the customer talk, they're going to give you the entire roadmap of what that relationship could look like. And all this stuff that you can cross sell in the future and how much you can grow that customer relationship in the future. So I love that question. And at that point, pay attention to verbal cues, nonverbal cues, because everything they're gonna give you is gold. Another key question you can ask, this is, what, this is one of the, what's called the capstone question, which is, okay, we talked a lot. Okay, it, 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 clearly this, this issue needs attention. Clearly we, um, we want to help you with this. So if you were to invest $20,000 to $50,000 per year, and I, again, I'm just throwing a number out there, whatever, whatever, whatever that range, whatever that range in your mind you're thinking is going to be what you're going to offer. Again, we're not even making offers at this point. But if you were to invest twenty dollars to $50,000 a year, and, I'm, and I like to um, preface that or, or, or footnote that immediately with what percentage of the annual revenues is, right? because that context is valuable. So if you have a customer that's a $1 million revenue company, you say, hey, if you were to invest twenty dollars to 50%, I mean, sorry, twenty dollars to $50,000 a year 
just two to five percent of your annual revenues for improving your accounting situation what results would you expect to see within the next three years so now we're now what we're doing is we're we talked about dan sullivan question which is more like okay imagine a perfect world and now it's hey you've actually invested two to three percent of your revenue in this particular uh problem solving endeavor right in this accounting situation tell me within three years what what results you want to see and and i like to say within the next three years because Typically, most accountants think about a year, and in reality, it takes more than a year to change behaviors. And and, and it really, it really, it's more like year one we're experimenting with changes, year two we're finally implementing the changes, and year three we're reaping the benefits of the changes. Right. So we we kind of we we might need a whole three years for this. Now you could reframe this conversation around months if you are solving the type of problem that's more sort of short term. Um, but I think this is the framework to use regardless. And then after they give you the answer, whatever it is, then your follow-up question is, what type of hard guarantees are you expecting to have in exchange for this investment? So you do, so not only the, the results that they're expecting, because expecting is a soft word, a hard guarantee is a hard word, a guarantee is a hard word, it means it's tangible, it means it's measurable, it means, you know, you can sue me or I can sue you or whatever. And then there's and a third party can come in and, and look at the contract and go, you know what? It's in writing. It passed the threshold or it didn't pass the threshold, whatever it happens to be. You want to ask that in there. And at that point, again, you can, you can explain if the firm could even make those expectations or how much of that guarantee they could meet. Because you could do partial guarantees. You can say, you know what? You're right. I can't guarantee... Um, you know, that result, but I might be, I might, I can't promise you anything. I might be able to guarantee half of that. So for half of the range I just gave you 10 to 25,000 with, you know, this half of guarantee or half of what you're expecting guarantee would something like this work. And you start, again, you start reframing around investment versus guarantee investment as a percentage of revenue versus guarantee you give. And then all of a sudden we're no longer talking about doing tax returns. We're only negotiating in transformation. Right? We're investing in transformation. That's all it is. Uh, another really cool question to ask, again, I, around expectation setting is if you or anyone in your organization request work, that is clearly something we cannot do. It's something that we just don't have the capacity to do. How would you like us to communicate that? So again, we're talking about something that we don't do. So if I am not a CPA or enrolled agent, I cannot represent you in front of the IRS. Uh, maybe you don't know that or understand that or your employee knows that understand that. Well, how would you want me to communicate to who and or whom or which group of people that we got requested something that we just don't do? How do you want to do that? Honestly, it seems like a like a question that shouldn't be asked, but it's a really good one to ask because your customers usually go back and go, wait, what are the things that you can't do? Right. And that's a that's a valuable piece of conversation if you didn't have that already. And the other follow-up question to this is. What if, same request, but is it is a service that we can do. It's something we have the capacity to do, but it's not included in the original agreement. It's not included in the price. It's not included in what we negotiated. How would you want us to negotiate? I mean, how would you want us to communicate that? And again, it's just to completely immediately talk about out of scope work. So, so at that point, you can explain how your firm uh, works in these situations. Another um and also sort of capstone question to this is hey are you the type of person that's is just looking for a 
just take care of it type of engagement? Like, are, are you that type of person where you hire an accountant and then whatever accounting means to you, if something happens that to you means an accountant should do it, and it is within the purview of the things that we have the legal capacity to do, are you the type of person that just wants us to take care of it? In other words, do you want us to just be your virtual CFO or your virtual controller or a complete outsource accounting department? Are, are, you, are, are you the type of person? Are you requesting that type of service? Ask for that upfront because if the customer tells you, no, 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 I like to, st- I do, you know, I, I'm not the type of person. I want to know what you do, what you don't do, and I want to respect that. Or they might just say, they might just say, no, no, yeah, absolutely. I just want to just take care of it type of engagement. And then if they say yes, then you say, okay, I will include that option for that type of service when I present the pricing option. So you, you completely frame it that this is a super premium offer. This is an option. And if they opt out for this, they opted out for this. It's just, be, it's just very clear in your conversation. Okay, so that's an example of what these uh, value conversation kind of looks like. And then the last step um, in this case simply is you are going to um, deliver a proposal with your options, pricing, or guarantees. This should be probably 30 to 20 to 30 minutes max. You don't need, I, you've talked enough. Like it, this might just be like going through like the fine print and that sort of thing. Um, and then again, we'll cover value pricing and offering guarantees in detail on that. I mean, we, we, we just went through value conversation, but on episode five, we'll talk about um, pricing options. So that's what step five looks like. And, and just the, the, the last sort of uh, uh, summary here is prior to closing the deal, make sure that uh, your customer has key understanding on what to expect in these five areas. One is what is the onboarding process going to look like? So make sure they know upfront that, okay, they paid you. What is the next step going to look like or next steps? Second one is what does the first deliverable look like and when to expect it? Because nothing can create more anxiety for a brand new customer than not seeing, you know, something in return for what they just paid for and the time that they invested possibly in a diagnosis or the time they, they invested answering a gazillion questions uh, during the value conversation. And you want to avoid that proverbial buyer's remorse by for them having a keen understanding of what that first deliverable looks like. Um, what the, the, the third question, the key, third area that they need to have a key understanding of is what does access to your firm mean? So in terms of people and systems, like how do they access people? How do they ask questions? How do they know uh, where to raise an issue to, that sort of thing? Make sure they have a keen understanding of what triggers a change order and add a scope request. We just talked about this. What does that process look like? And lastly, how would your customer communicate issues? feedback breaks this will happen and you and you you kind of have to be okay with um telling admitting to your client hey stuff happens right we have a process for it and and we respond and we fix it and if we don't fix it it triggers a guarantee whatever it is but we want to you know improve and we're not perfect and mr customer you're going to be a, a pivotal part of that and this is the process uh to do that okay and Again, once that's all set up, then just have them sign the proposal. Uh, very important to me. Like I, I feel that if the customer doesn't pay something at the same time they agree, something's disconnected. Like I, I to have somebody sign an engagement and get a bill thirty days later, nah. You gotta sign the engagement with money, all in a single action, either money or some sort of 
uh, authorization to charge monthly on whatever day of the month. So have the credit card and the and the signature all in once because that that just that that brings closure to the sales process. That's the final closure to the sales process. All right, Blake, we just have onboarding next, which is a, a pretty quick one because once you have sales process uh, set up, onboarding becomes easy. But any questions or comments on what we've talked about so far? Uh, we had a comment from a viewer. I like budgeting accounting slash finance services as a percentage of revenue. This can help to frame expectations, unique industry needs, and level of service. I I like I, I tend to like that as well. I actually, uh, when I was in practice, um, I would often gut check all of my pricing as a percentage of revenue to make sure it was not too low or too high. What do you think of that? Yeah, I actually did a, a prior to, I, I like this comment because prior to um, doing this presentation, I had to cut out like eight slides <laughs> from the presentation where I did this sort of thought exercise and mathematical because I'm an accountant, of course, of, so I don't have slides for it, but I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about it quickly, which is, all right, the gross domestic product of the United States is um, 25 trillion, 26 trillion. And that all mostly comes from businesses. That's, that's where domestic product comes from. And there's 32 million businesses in the US. So that means that there's 19, and I'm, I'm remembering the numbers. I'm not doing math in my head, by the way. There's $19 million in revenue per, per business, right? Uh, actually, no, sorry. There's 1.3 million accountants, right? this is according to the labor statistics, forget about number of businesses, 1.3 million accountants and 25 trillion gross domestic product. That means that for every accountant in the country, there's $19 million in revenue. For every accountant in the country, there's $19 million in accounting revenue. Th th I mean, I mean in, in revenue. So think about it, right? You only need one accountant per $19 million produced in, in a business. Now, if you take you know, uh, the average or the median salary of an accountant, which is a 78, 80,000, and you divide that by the 19 million, this is like half a percent. So businesses are only investing, this is, all, this is all averages, right? They right. are only investing half a percent of the revenue in accounting people, right? So if your business is spending that in average and they're not getting the results that they want, um, you know, they're going to need to spend, they're going to need to spend more, right? If they're not spending even that, they should at least spend half a percent of the revenue in that. So you start thinking, yeah. you start actually just taking numbers and you go back and go, holy crap, this literally 1.3 million accountants in charge of accounting for $25 trillion in revenue across all businesses. Accountants can do a lot, right? So, so if you add just one more accountant into the mix or one more accounting professional, one more accounting service, how much more can that strengthen your, your revenue or your business? I love that context, Hector, because it it backs up what I've always known to be true, but I never really had proof of it, which is that uh, uh, when I was pricing accounting services, just the, the, the bookkeeping, the work to do the accounting for a business, I would never let it be below half a percent. It just felt wrong. So now I know why. Hey, numbers don't oh. lie, man. There's a, there's a debit for each credit, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's bring it home to onboarding. So step zero and step zero means before we start onboarding. So step zero means you got to be able to have a summary of all the findings, the conversation, the value conversation, the client history, the scope, the documents looked at, 
the the price, the engagement letter. There needs to be one place where the customer the customer goes. All right, everything we did at this point, it's here, right? Whether it's a portal or a folder or an email or whatever it is, like that needs to be summarized because it's very difficult to like start the onboarding um, until the customer knows that everything that happened it's archived somewhere. Plus. If there's going to be a change in hands, which happens very often, where the person that sells the engagement, not the same person that starts the onboarding process, that, that needs to be somewhere. Like if it's a CRM system, if it's a portal, it doesn't matter. But at least make the customer feel that none of that stuff went into the ether. Like that's all that knowledge, all that intelligence, IQ about your customer is collected somewhere. So just make it a habit to send them a summary or send them to a place where there is a summary for all this. So at least they feel like, okay, good. So now it looks like there's a true transition from the sales team to the production team. Okay. Most accounting firms fail at this point. And most of the stuff it's in the brain or the memories of the person that they talk to. So like, that's a really important piece. Um, and also this might be an opportunity for the customer to go, yeah, 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 you're right. However, I said I had, three PayPal accounts, not one PayPal account, whatever it is, right? So the customer can go back and at that point, make sure they clarify or correct anything where they were misunderstood. Uh, and also it gives them sort of a sense of progress, right? So it's a sense of, okay, we're getting there. Like, so maybe we didn't collect, you know, and this is true. You can do as much homework as possible. It isn't until you're literally entering every transaction in the bank statement where you realize, oh, there's another American Express, you know, that, that sort of thing. So like, it's almost impossible to truly collect the entire universe of that like, client's financial situation until you're deep into it. But at least you want them to feel that we're like 95% there, or you want to yourself feel you're 95% then. Plus, I feel personally as a customer that having to explain myself many times is my number one complaint from any customer service that I consider to be bad customer service. So you never want to give your customer the feeling that they have to explain themselves again. So if you don't put that summary of information somewhere, guess what? They will explain themselves again. And I'm telling you, that stuff accumulates and like the rage around having to explain yourself is this weird unconscious feeling that just, it builds up and builds up and it gets worse and worse and worse and it eventually explodes. So yeah, that, 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 that would be a really uh, dumb way to, um, to, to, to just like break your customer's relationship by not just putting a summary of everything you talked about. So step one in the onboarding process is make sure your customer understands your systems, right? What is your system for communication? What's your system for um, document delivery? Sit down with them and make sure you watch them log in into the portal. I'm telling you, the best investment in time you can make is watch your customer log in into the portal. Create the username and password if you have one. And by the way, if you don't have one, uh, welcome to 2023, you need a portal of some sort, right? But watching your customer log into the portal, create an account and like do it with you and go, okay, so we agree. You have access to the portal. Great. That's going to get rid of like, 80% of your problems in the future. Second one is sit down with them and have them upload a document. Just have them just like, hey, grab a document, upload it. Okay. You see a little checkbox at the end. You see that listed there. You see the time frame. You see the name of who uploaded. Like you see, like you, you went through the experience 
and then uploading a document. And lastly, have a sample document in there that they download. So make sure that they go to the process of downloading a document. You do that maybe in a Zoom call, maybe in a recorded Zoom call that you send over the recording to them. That Again, that's going to take away so much anxiety because they are using your system. They are using your portals. And if your systems have a chat and messaging option where you don't want them to text you, you don't want them to give you verbal instructions, you don't want them to email you, you want them to use your chat system, right? whether it's Slack or, or, or your portal system, have them send a, a message and you reply back, hello, got it, whatever it is, right? If you do that, I'm telling you, I, I mean, I, I've been in practice enough and I have enough customers to tell you that when people use your portal, everything is night and day. I mean, it just, it just completely changes your process. Step number two, okay? Introduce your customer to all the people they will be interacting with on a regular basis and to the backups. Just having that, just a quick introduction. Hey, this is John. He's working on your account. And here's Robert. He won't be working on your account, but when John's on vacation or sick, he can jump in, read the notes, and answer some questions, or, or at least do enough until John gets back. So make that make sure that they put a name to a face, they know who's who, that sort of thing. You know, maybe a quick Zoom call. And some people just have bios on the website with all the emails and all the phone numbers. It could probably just be an email with everybody's bios. Or whatever it's just, the customer goes, he, this is the people you will be interacting with. Make sure that, that that's, that's how they feel. Step number three is discuss the escalation process. Make sure they understand that as a firm, you want to empower your lowest level employee to do as much as possible, not because you're trying to save money. And that's a really important piece. Be very careful about that. Don't say we're trying to be efficient. Don't say that because that to the customer means, oh, you're just being cheap. You want your cheapest employees to do everything. You have to say, hey, we want this your first line level employee because they're closest to the issue, right? Because not because they're cheapest, not because, you know, because you know, I'm the partner and I'm so important. It's because the person that's closest to the issue is most likely to solve the problem. And make sure they understand that there is a policy in your in your business for proper escalation. And they have a supervisor, a manager, a partner, and make sure that uh, the customer knows that your process is set in such a way that if the customer tries to skip it, uh, you might catch the next person off guard and that will delay the process of getting the problem solved. So if, if, if you allow your team to go to the proper escalation process, the right amount of information moves to the right person that can make the right decisions. Because a partner that needs to issue a refund or something like that doesn't need to look at a bank statement to, to do this. Like they don't need to like look at a, a, an issue with the balance sheet or whatever. Like so, so it's very important that they understand that you know, your, your team is set in place with a particular set of skills and you have a, again, all you have to say is we have a process in place for escalation because most people just don't trust that you do. If you say it and they believe you, most of the time they'll respect it, okay? Step number four of the onboarding process is lastly, make sure your customer understands that all the promised timelines are dependent upon them to respond to all the questions and upon them to upload all the documents because Generally, the customer says, hey, when can I have my return by? And you can say, hey, uh, at this pace, if you upload all your documents, I can have it done, whatever it is, March 10th. But then they don't upload stuff until March 9th, and then they call you and say, hey, where's my return? You said March 10th. 
So that's a really important piece where you have to communicate that the, the, the timelines, the deadlines, the promise delivery date starts, the clock starts from where all the documents up are uploaded and you're and tell them, my employees are instructed not to start a file until the file is complete, period. We, we just, we're not that good at, at starting and stopping, starting and stopping. And for your sake, for efficiency, for accuracy, I do not want one of my employees to be working on 10 different files at the same time and, com- and potentially confuse one file with the other and severely slow them down or, or, or have them, you know, have just be inaccurate. So, so tell them, tell your customers, Hey, I've instructed my employees that they can only move forward once the entire file is complete based on the list we gave you based on the, 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 the things that we requested, that, that sort of thing. Okay. So that's the most important thing. And also uh, make sure that again, for your firm, for your firm, urgency is based on how quickly clients get you the required information. For you, the customer, urgency is when do you need it? But we don't know when you need stuff by, like we could hear it, but we don't know it. We only understand urgency within the context of how quickly you get us the required information. Nothing to do with how much in a hurry you are, because we, we just can't, we can't uh, accommodate everyone. So like, like for us, when you give us the stuff, that means it's urgent. When you don't give us the stuff, it means it's not urgent. It's just a very simple uh, thing for us. Next step is explain to your client um, how they can learn more about accounting and accounting processes. I know many accountants don't want the clients to know, but in reality, the better educated your um, small business client and their employees are about accounting processes in general, doesn't mean they have to do stuff, but the better they understand what you do and why it matters, the more collaborative it can be. Look, I, I do it like this. I tell them, remember, the more we as a firm learn about your company, the better we can, solve you help, uh, we can help you solve your problems. Conversely, the more you as a client learn more about what we're doing and the right things that you need to do in order to make our job more efficiently, the faster we can get you results. So yes, there's, a, there's always an overarching um, theme here, which is if you get better at processes yourself based on our guidance, and we'll explain to you how we want you to learn this, um, the better our services will get long-term. And I would say, finally, just have a reference guide of all the steps, you know, have a, have a breakdown, a PDF, a, like a mini manual, a playbook, whatever you want to call it, um, of, you know, all these tasks and, 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 and sort of how to, how to navigate the, the, the work with you. And that's it. Like that, that entire pre-sales strategy, sales process, and client onboarding will most likely help you build that focus firm. Thanks so much, Hector. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you to Avalara for sponsoring. We really appreciate their support. You can learn more about Avalara and their solutions at avalara.com. Accountants, be sure to subscribe to our email list to get notified of future live streams. And very importantly, to get the link to the course for CPE when it is available. The course will be available on the Earmark CPE app next week. 
download the app. If you have not, search for earmarkcpe.com, and uh, you'll get the link to download the app there on our website. All right. Anything else you want to add before we go, Hector? Yeah, but we can add a couple of next steps, like what, what I would recommend. Um, so so you, you, you loved what you learned. You think this is something you want to implement. What can you do? So there's three exercises I would recommend. Exercise number one, get a random person outside your organization, someone that doesn't know who you are, what you do. Uh, so there's people out there that actually offer these services. And have them look at your website, look at your email autoresponders, look at your email signature, look at your social media, your posts, uh, actually call your office and inquire about your services and have the person report back to you things about your firm. Like, who are you? What do you do? How do you do it? Who do you do it for? And why do you do what you do? Just have them go back, give you a quick one page uh, summary of that. And if at any point in time, that person or group of people give you stuff that's not congruent, then there's something with your pre-sales uh, marketing strategy or whatever your, your positioning that needs to be fixed. Okay. So exercise number one. Exercise number two is you can use something like Zoom whiteboard or there's all sorts of um, process mapping software that's free out there or even pay for one. I, I, I think it will be totally worth it. Develop a process map of every customer interaction your customer has from pre-sales, from inquiring about your services, through the sales process, through onboarding, finally through the first deliverable, and cleanly delineate at least four things on your workflow. One is what actions or tasks are initiated in your firm. Two, what actions or tasks are triggered or initiated by your customer. Which technology portal, whatever is being used through the process and at each event. What is the action plan that you have internally for when the uh, workflow breaks? And finally, what is the customer expecting to observe and which elements of the process you want to make visible versus invisible? And of course, if there is a opportunity to collect feedback on any of the stages, um, how you would do that, right? So you want to lay that out in um in a process map. And the, and the third exercise is uh, for your leads, is it clear what the price of your services are or price range? And what is the process of getting a price scope and understanding of ROI? Sometimes the price is on your website. Sometimes it's very difficult to put a price on your website, but is it clear for a lead to know how they go about getting a price, right? So what's the process to get a price? Um, that way you're not, you know, charging an hourly rate, right? Because obviously this entire context of building a focus firm is we don't charge hourly rates, right? We charge a price that's below the value we create, period. Okay, that's that's the fundamental business model that we have. So is it clear for your customer uh, what, you know, what is the price or price range or how do they get, um, or finally get a price? So those are the three exercises, Blake. I want every uh, firm owner, uh, firm manager, firm leader to walk away with in this session. I love those. Great, great exercises to do. Please join us again for our next live stream. Subscribe to our Earmark YouTube channel and you'll get notified. Hector, have a great week. I'll see you here next week.